And when you have millions of people depending on separate sources of information to form their opinions, and propaganda becomes the only source of information, it's fully natural for the people from country A to believe country B is evil, people from country B to believe the people from country A is evil, and why wouldn't they? There's nothing to weigh that against. Welcome to class with Teacher Nico. Let's begin. Today is March 26th, 2022 AD. This is Nico Manetti broadcasting from Missouri, Earth, USA. Should be the other way around, USA, Earth. But sometimes it feels from the perspective of an American that all of Earth is America because America's job is to police the world and to uphold whatever its values are anywhere around the world. Now, that used to be the narrative. I think it's changed because enough information has come out in my lifetime. I'm in my mid-30s now, I guess you could say, early to mid. And over my lifetime, enough information has come out about the past for us to realize that the values story is kind of bullshit. I mean, the, the... idea that the reason that the American military has been used as an instrument of uh, peace, an instrument of protection of of the helpless, and whatever the ideal kind of narrative surrounding foreign interactions uh, on a military level would be, that's not holding up. We're allies and friends with people who do all kinds of terrible shit. Saudi Arabia being, I think, the penultimate example, just because that's that's who we're most in bed with, uh, most apparently in bed with. I mean, whenever a new president's elected, they go to Saudi Arabia, they probably bow to the king, they, you know, whatever the hell is really going on. But you got these guys who are, you know, waging wars against their neighbors and oppressing their society in all these various ways have none of the same rights we do, very different governments, very different values, no freedom of religion, no freedom of speech, you know, a completely different culture. And they're lauded as an ally. And we consistently seem to intervene whenever their interests are at stake. And we're sort of an attack dog for Saudi Arabia. Now, why would that be? It's all about business, I think. It's all about money. And the people who have been running the country have been getting their beak wet through these kind of deals. Energy is one of the biggest businesses in the world, if not the biggest business in the world, the various forms of energy. So when we look at these geopolitical conflicts, as they call them, which is like a nice term for you know, gang violence on a mass scale. If you think of countries as gangs, you know, they have their flags, they have their colors, they have their teams, they go fight each other and compete for domination of of the business opportunities, right? But for us, the block is, you know, not not just a a block, it's, it's a country. So we're fighting to have control of the block, right? 
Now, when you have people competing for control over the energy markets, they're competing for, I guess, the ability to dictate where the resources being gathered go. And beyond that, they're competing for a monopoly over the market. So if we stop looking at these wars as having anything to do with what we're told they're being fought for, whether it's a quest to protect a certain people against a different people, or it's a, in the case of, I guess you could say the Iraq war, Afghanistan war, it was like a fake version of going to get revenge for, uh, you know, an attack. It was like an honor killing, like we're gonna go kill bin Laden because he killed us. And it was a very simplistic kind of cowboy narrative. And we're gonna go, you know, roam these deserts till we find them. And of course that was used to justify completely different missions that had absolutely nothing to do with finding him. And we're told, I guess he was killed all these years later in Pakistan. And I don't know, not everything's a conspiracy. I'm not saying that didn't happen. I'm saying I never saw a body. I, I don't know. It doesn't matter to me though, like if they got him or not. The whole thing was a disaster. And what I wanna talk about today, I'm sorry for the background noise. I decided to take a long drive because I've had a lot on my mind and I, I've been feeling like I really need to get away. So I'm just driving to a city that's like three hours away to just sit down, have lunch, and uh, write a little bit, and then I'm gonna drive back. And I figured to and fro, maybe try to record something. So this is just kind of a stream of thought, me talking about current events here. And you know, sometimes people might wanna listen to it someday, somewhere, whatever, but it's a good way for me to clear my head, if nothing else. And I hope it's of some interest or value to someone out there, some people out there. So. Well, what I wanted to discuss was how we think of the beginning of World War II, most of us, as Pearl Harbor from the American perspective. Because there was a blatant, obvious attack on our military by a foreign military that justified declaring war against Japan and because Japan was allied with Germany, and Germany, I guess, saw that war as inevitable or already underway, uh, Germany then declared war on the United States, and there you go, now you have a world war that we're involved in. Um, from the perspective of the other countries, however, World War II began much sooner. It began for the Japanese, when the United States began embargoing oil they needed. It began, I'm, I'm trying to explain, let me think about this a second. What I mean to say is, from the Japanese perspective, America was already at war with them, even though no war had been formally declared, because they were actively interfering with their ability to wage their war. They were, the United States was embargoing oil. They were uh, sanctioning Japan, essentially. And they were doing a lot of things that 
I'm not sure exactly what they were doing, but they were actively participating in a resistance to Japan. Now, I'm in no way saying that that wasn't justified or merited. I think that was justified and merited uh, once we take into account the facts about that war and, and the atrocities the Japanese were committing. I'm not saying that there should have been no war there. But what I'm saying is, from their perspective, that's when America became their clear enemy was when we were already interfering with their supply chain and we were clearly stationing a large navy close to them. So from their perspective, the Americans are preparing to attack us. Their ships are sitting there. Let's go shoot their ships before they bring them over here. Pretty simple calculation, not the dastardly sneak attack that we consider it, I guess. It's not like it came out of nowhere. They saw it as an inevitable outcome, I think. From the German perspective, the war didn't begin exactly when they declared war on, a, on America. The Americans were already working to do similar things, to interfere with the German supplies, to intervene uh, navally. There, there were incursions, right? There, there were things being done to choose a side, right? And of course, we were on the right side, I believe. I don't think a lot of people would argue that 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 was also a justified engagement, if there ever was one. But the reason this is relevant today is because although no war has been declared on Russia by the United States and vice versa, from the Russian perspective, they may already be at war with America. And from the American perspective, they may already be at war with Russia. Because what we're told are, I guess, inevitable or necessary measures, these sanctions, this economic form of warfare is very real to the Russian people. They're intentionally crippling their entire economy and making life much worse for the people there. It goes beyond hindering their ability to wage war. It's intentionally trying to foster conditions for revolution, in my opinion. And you even hear some of our most prominent politicians, like I believe it was Mitch McConnell, talking about wanting to see Putin overthrown. So what you have is essentially a decision to try to inflict pain and suffering on the entire country to create the conditions for revolution, to uh, have some form of coup, right? Now, I believe that from the Russian perspective, it may be similar to when Japan decided to move on Pearl Harbor, when they decided to invade Ukraine. I think that they, look, this is just me talking, but I think they saw this whole NATO thing as the, I will not even call it America's, it's like the globalist attempt to expand the Western Empire into that sphere, into Asia. And it was happening by basically overthrowing, toppling, or otherwise taking control of Eastern European governments or putting some pressure on them to make them 
form an alliance with NATO, thereby expanding the reach of that international syndicate of, I guess, militaries, right? You could think of NATO as a collection of, of gang lords forming an alliance against other giant gangs or something. I, I just think that the sort of mafia analogy for countries is very adequate because they are kind of like just big gangs that enforce their will through, you know, threats and violence. And sometimes it's through uh, legal processes. Sometimes it's not. And sometimes the laws are just changed to make things that were illegal legal. So we're in a situation right now where I believe the leaders of my country are marching into an unnecessary war. And I would go so far as to say they may be intentionally escalating it closer and closer to that breaking point where there is an actual full-scale war between the United States and Russia and siding with Ukraine, of course, as is the overall narrative. And the reason I see this as such a danger for all of us is, of course, the threat of, of nuclear war is always looming, and that is certainly the ultimate threat. But beyond that, people here in America don't know what it's like to truly be at war. We know what it's like to be from a country that's always involved in other people's wars, but we don't know what it's like to actually have to fight at home, to actually have our supply chains threatened, to have our economy destroyed, unless you count COVID, I guess. But that's different. But, you know, we, we don't know what it's like to face that kind of, of conflict. So when we're coming closer and closer to making that a reality, and make no mistake, it, it can't be that hard for Russia to, to hurt us if they chose to, to take down our, you know, grid, for example, to cause chaos in different ways, or even to directly militarily engage us here in America. It's not impossible. These things seem so far-fetched and so outside the scope of our perspective that they will never happen. This is just a conflict going on on the other side of the ocean that will never make its way here. But the world's more connected than it's ever been. And we're more reliant on each other in ways that aren't on the surface obvious than has ever been the case. So this reckless march toward a fully, I believe, still fully avoidable war is reckless, it's dangerous, and it's nefarious. And it's something I keep thinking about and talking about and writing about because I feel like we're in the final days before that breaking point is reached. And we're already seeing the federal government mobilize not only militarily, but in terms of censorship. And we're seeing what I cannot in my lifetime compare anything to in terms of censorship. 
we're seeing these big tech companies being used as arms of that same government to dictate what is allowed to be said both by Americans and by foreigners. Do you realize the danger of saying, okay, no more Russian news in America because Russia's the bad guys. So they banned RTV, I believe it's called Russian television. They had a, a YouTube channel I used to watch because they actually had a lot of good content. And I actually found a lot of their reporting to be more reliable than Western media or to present, in the very least, perspectives that were new and I found interesting. I liked having that resource to be able to see the Russian perspective on things. And in a country that is defined by its difference in those ways, by a country that is known for being a place where free speech is of penultimate value, to deny anyone that ability to speak is to betray that value. So to say, okay, Russian TV is not allowed to exist in our borders anymore. To choose sides as a social media company and say, we're going to allow people to call for the death of Russians. We're going to make an exception there. That's not against our policy anymore. When you do something like that, of course, Russia's instinct is to ban Facebook. Now, what happens when you ban Facebook in Russia? Well, that makes it a hell of a lot harder for anyone to communicate with each other from those countries. And it makes it a lot easier for either government to paint whatever picture they want about the other with less and less pushback, with less and less ability for people to develop any contrary notion of what the truth may be because we're not allowed to see what they have to say anymore. We're not allowed to hear their voices and they're not allowed to see or hear what we have to say, perhaps. So what I see is this bizarre situation where we're taking our angst from one crisis, COVID, and we're applying that angst to a new situation. Russia, as if overnight a decision was made, the emphasis from COVID being this grand threat and this focal point of all national policy disappeared. The masks went off. The vaccines, they're still talking about them, but they're not as pushy anymore. It seems as if whatever was behind that is retreating. And it's deciding to immediately shift the focus as starkly as possible onto a new crisis that will garner all of the media coverage. To the point COVID is a thing of the past. Now I am thrilled to see masks coming off, to see all those measures being pushed back. I feel like it's a victory. but. I also see the evasion of responsibility going on right now because people were starting to question 
lies that we've been told over the past few years. People are starting to see more and more evidence suggesting that the people who were choosing to be our authoritarian leaders and who were shaping these narratives and who were telling us what we needed to fear, what we needed to believe, and it was all based on something else. And I need to, of course, be very careful about what I say if I have any hope of anyone being allowed to listen to this because you're not allowed to say the truth anymore or even to suggest what the truth could be. You're not allowed to talk about how pharmaceutical companies profited immensely from this whole situation, how they were completely shielded from any liability of what happens to anyone who gets these vaccines, that they benefited greatly from exaggerating the effectiveness of the product they were providing, and that the people in government who were responsible for deciding the truth about these matters, and of course I'm talking about Dr. F. Ochi and others, these people stood to profit and did profit from both mass hysteria about pandemics in general and from specific drugs that were being approved and sold and from the blockage of other drugs that they're pretending they don't know anything about or it's not safe to take. And I'm not even going to say the name of those because it'll trigger whatever. But the point is we're still trying to make sense of what the hell just happened with this whole COVID thing. But instead of getting any answers or seeing anyone face any type of even scrutiny, we're seeing a complete shift in narrative. And I will go so far as to suspect, not to declare, but to suspect that there was seen in this escalation of conflict with Russia an opportunity to bury those stories, an opportunity to shift the focus. And if they did it swift enough and powerfully enough, then people might just go on with life and forget what the hell just happened to us and stop seeking the truth. Because it's just crazy what happened. And it's crazy what's happening. And I go crazy when I think about how it's being treated so casually. This whole, like, there was a whole pandemic that may have been started by research that was being funded by our own government and foreign governments. And this research goes hand in hand with the creation of chemical weapons and of bioweapons. And that's stuff that's coming out but we're not hearing about it. We're not being told about it. We're being actively persuaded in many ways not to even think about it. And in place comes this Russia war thing, which is being dumbed down into this good versus evil narrative where America's the cowboys who, who are here to have the backs of the people being oppressed and invaded with zero nuance allowed. With, with us even, with us being blocked from even evaluating the other side's perspective because the other side is in so many ways being blocked from even communicating.
So my frustration right now is that I feel like there is an incentive from those, there are many incentives from those in charge of, say, my government to escalate this conflict to a certain extent. No one wants a nuclear war, I'm sure, but maybe they don't mind a few years of of old school war. They don't mind a few thousand or 10,000 or even 100,000 deaths of the peasants. They don't care what happens to the people who actually have to go fight and die over this stuff. And they don't care about the lives of people from other countries. Because if they did, instead of the first instinct being, let's enact harsh, unprecedentedly harsh sanctions, completely ostracize this country, and start um, arming the people they're fighting, a diplomatic solution should have been sought. In the very least, it should have been sought while those things were happening, if it was decided those things needed to happen. But what I see is the opposite. I see a pullback from seeking a diplomatic solution and a push towards violence. And we're not being told exactly who we're arming. And America has a long history of arming the wrong people. Let's not forget that the same people we credit 9-11 to were armed by America in the past and were allies of the intelligence agencies. Look up the Mujahideen. Look up uh, Bin Laden's involvement with the CIA decades ago. It's all real. It's all so thoroughly documented. It's not even disputed or denied anymore. It's just ignored by most people. ISIS. Where did they get all those weapons that they started taking places over with after we retreated? Well, they got it probably from Americans who left it with the Iraqi quote-unquote military. What, what about Afghanistan? What? Look, why do we continually invade places, arm people, and then abandon those places. Why, why, just all of it's baffling. Biden's decision to withdraw all those funds from the Afghanistan National Bank, like the intentional decisions to create chaos in these different regions, it appears to me. I don't get it, and it's so sad to me. And I just feel a need to just talk about it just to get it off my chest if nothing else that what we're seeing is a reckless advancement toward unnecessary war i say unnecessary not because i don't sympathize with the plight of the ukrainian people i clearly don't understand what it's like over there i don't know the truth about how many people are dying on what side and and who's targeting civilians and who I don't know and I simply can't trust really any media coverage on this it, it's very hard to trust media coverage on this so what I'm saying is if we zoom back and we stop thinking about which side we hope kills the other side which most people are being encouraged to think in such simplistic terms right Russian dead good Ukrainian alive good that simple, right? Well, shouldn't the perspective be war bad? Anyone dying bad? Sending weapons that we know are going to be used to kill 
kids, right? I mean, if you think of kids as, I'm sure they're of adult age, but you know, these people in the Russian military, I don't see them as, I, I see them as probably a lot of kids who, who were in the military and told to go on these military exercises and they're going around doing this. And all of a sudden it's like, okay, now invade this country. The next thing you know, you got missiles hitting you and, and you're dying. And it's just, it's crazy to me that Putin or Biden or any of these people would consider it acceptable to spend those lives when it's fully avoidable. And the fact that America is even making this its problem, that's the reason I really believe that it has a lot more to do with wanting to evade responsibility for for the COVID thing and for these other stories that are coming out than it does our true need to be directly involved in that conflict. Or it, I consider it directly involved when you're arming one side of a war. I consider it directly involved when you're intentionally crippling economies and supply chains. And it's the same escalation that we saw with World War II has already happened. So we're close enough to war that really someone could just say the word and it's on, right? It's semantics right now because it's already been escalated that far. And it seems to have happened so suddenly, so unexpectedly. And I'm just really bothered by that. And I wonder if there is a way that we can somehow maintain a dialogue, whatever that means, whatever form that takes. If we could find a way to communicate with our so-called enemies and see if there's friendships to be made. Because I truly believe that most of these understandings come from misunderstandings of who the other people are and what they want. And when we're unable to communicate and unable to understand each other, well, that fog just gets denser and denser. And when you have millions of people depending on separate sources of information to form their opinions, and propaganda becomes the only source of information it's fully natural for the people from country A to believe country B is evil, people from country B to believe the people from country A is evil, and why wouldn't they? There's nothing to weigh that against. So I think that if it is in fact such an avoidable war, which I believe it is, and I believe it will wind down, I really hope, but if it is avoidable, then perhaps it's our responsibility if we know we simply can't trust the media that's supplying us with the information designed to basically convince us that war is necessary and perhaps even inevitable, if we can't trust them, well, how do we get our information? I think it has to come from us trying to directly communicate with one another and not being afraid to treat each other with respect, 
even if we're enemies on paper. And I'm not an enemy with anyone in any country. I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be able to say that, right? But I'm worried about the future even if the war dies down because what if we really are arming Nazis over there? You know, the news laughs it off, but that's that's what Putin's saying. And I know there are basically Nazis out there, right? There, there are Nazis in Ukraine. And they're probably good at fighting. And it would be tempting to arm them if they're good at fighting, if your goal is to defeat Russia. But what happens when that's over? What happens? I don't know. Are these Nazis now our allies? Is that just a temporary alliance? Are they going to try to take over when we leave? Are the, you know, the stuff that sounds insane tends to happen historically. When we arm a radical faction, they tend to stay armed. And sometimes they turn on us. So I'm very wary of the seeds we're planting when we make these decisions to haphazardly just arm people and say, go get them, tiger. So we don't have to fight them ourselves. I much prefer the tone China has had throughout this conflict from what I've been able to hear. And that's one of attempting to find a reasonable solution between the parties rather than taking sides and enforcing an agenda. They've chosen, I believe wisely, not to say, hey, we're on Team Russia or we're on Team America, let's get this war going. They've decided to say, hey, no good comes from this, this rhetoric. No good comes from this condemnation because it doesn't foster any further dialogue. If your goal is to make someone hate someone, you can just condemn them and talk about all the terrible things they're doing and insult them and make fun of them. And you can do that, but it does nothing to bring you closer to peace. It only brings you further from it. So what we would be seeing if we had responsible leadership right now would be something like a meeting between Putin and between these other countries' presidents where they say, look, here's what's going on. Russia maybe thinks the West is about to invade them, and so they invaded first. It might be as simple as that. And maybe the West wasn't about to invade them. Maybe he was paranoid. Maybe that never would have happened. But he has good reason to suspect it could have because why is NATO there? Why does NATO still exist? Like, why are we still pursuing this Cold War dynamic? It's a good question. And why is America so deeply involved when we have so many domestic things that go completely unsolved? And the answer to that I already know is that the people that are pulling the strings of our leaders whoever they are, are not us. They're not the citizens of this country. And if they are, they're people who consider themselves outside the boundaries of any one country, I, I suspect. And so I don't know what to suggest, really, other than I hope that we're able to maintain the understanding that 
on the other side of every conflict is just another human being who thinks they're doing what they need to be doing. Whether they're motivated by fear or greed or whatever, like everyone thinks they're doing the right thing for whatever their values are. And in simply understanding the situation, I think it could be diffused. And I hope it is. But I'm very saddened by my belief that the goal is not peace from the American perspective. The goal is continued conflict and a source of distraction. Not that it's not true or it's not really happening, but a convenient excuse not to face accountability for other things that have been going on. It's very relevant to me that the son of the current president of America was being paid a lot of money by Ukrainian energy companies. Remember we said energy is the biggest business? Wars are fought over the control of energy? That's relevant. It's relevant that intelligence agencies and media organizations and social media websites all colluded to block that information from coming out during the election. Say what you will about if the election was legitimate or not. I know people have very strong opinions on that in both directions, but it's certainly the case that if you consider blocking relevant information interference that the interference occurred because when the New York Post I believe it was or the New Yorker came out with that story of they call it the Hunter Biden laptop story not only was it immediately dispelled as misinformation propaganda lies by all the so-called fact checkers and not only were contradicting narratives immediately flooding the airwaves people were blocked from even sharing the information you weren't allowed to even post the link the newspaper the publication that has been around hundreds of years and was reporting a factually accurate story from everything i can gather was blocked they were banned from communicating with the public for a period of time. And as far as I know, up until now, I'm not sure if they were unbanned or what, but that really happened. And what's the president do once he's elected? Well, he gets very deeply involved in this Ukraine crisis. So is there a connection there? I mean, it's not implausible, is it? To think that if hundreds of thousands of dollars are maybe millions of dollars are going into your son's pocket, not your pocket, right? Your son's pocket. That might be relevant. We might want to know what that was about. We never got an answer. So for us to blindly march toward war, when it's so clear to us that this has something to do with something we're not being told and nothing or little to do with this idea that America's here to just help the good guys, it's just simply not true. Saudi Arabia's not the good guys, okay? Maybe that everyone there could be thought of as bad guys, but they're not simply the good guys. 
where are we in all these other national, uh, international conflicts when there's no resources to draw upon? You know, why are we even pretending that we're world police anymore when there's no desire on any side for us to get involved in these conflicts and for us to spend all our time and money and effort pursuing outcomes that don't benefit us in the end, at least not clearly and directly. Stay classy, planet Earth.